0: Welcome to episode 312 with my guest, Amanda Bloom. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. And uh, go check it out. Fill out a survey. Maybe we'll read your survey on the air. Um, You can browse the forum, read blogs, guest blogs, support the show, uh, sign up um, on PayPal, on Patreon, um, donate frequent flyer miles. Those are all ways that you can support the show if you feel so inclined. Um, I want to, and by the way, this episode with uh, Amanda was recorded a about a little over a year ago so i think there's a a question in there where i reference sleeping a ton and still feeling kind of depressed that's hasn't been the case in a while all right this is uh an email that i got from uh a listener uh, named melissa and i'm just going to read a portion of it she writes i'm a huge people pleaser and i'm afraid to end therapy with my current therapist um I want to change because when I mentioned that I want to go over my past more and process things, she said she doesn't really do that kind of therapy and asked me why I wanted to do that, but she eventually obliged. I opened up to one of my friends about this, and he's been encouraging me to go to his therapist because he does go deep like I'm wanting to how would you suggest i go about ending things with my current therapist i'm afraid of hurting her feelings because i'm such a people pleaser and i'm always afraid of people being mad at me because they will surely abandon me then hello bpd um thank you for for that melissa and uh i wrote back that i uh have had to do that i've had to change therapists and uh, any therapist who gives you a hard time for wanting to switch is clearly not a good therapist and only thinking about themselves, which should make your decision even easier. So it's really kind of a win-win. But I left mine a message. And I might have even said this on the upcoming interview with uh, Amanda. I can't remember. But I left a message and said, um, this is hard to do because I like you, but I want to switch to another therapist. Um you know, because, uh, you know, of whatever, whatever the issue is. And, um, with the one that I left, yeah, I did say this in the upcoming interview that I felt like she wasn't really focused on what we were, uh, what we were doing. And, um, so you, Melissa might just say, I want to switch to another therapist whose focus is working on past traumas. I hope you understand. And then that's it. And your side of the street is clean because that's, that's what it's all about, really, is just making sure that we handle whatever it is that's right in front of us with uh, you know a good set of principles without um, sacrificing our our own needs. Uh, hey, let's give some love to zip recruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place is not enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire. You need to post your job on all the top job sites and now you can. ZipRecruiter already has 9 million resumes you can search through in their database. You can add multiple people to your account to make it the most efficient for your team to find the best hire. With ZipRecruiter.com you can post your job to 100 plus job sites including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter all with a single click. ZipRecruiter is a search engine for finding and posting jobs. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. You just post it once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. And if you have any issues, ZipRecruiter's friendly and human support staff is ready to help. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over one million businesses, featured on Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, New York Times, TechCrunch, and CBS. And ZipRecruiter's website shows trending career fields, cities, and searches. So, right now, you guys, the listeners, can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com first. That's ZipRecruiter.com first. Let's do it a third time for free go to ziprecruiter.com slash first. I am going to read a couple of um struggle in the sentences and then we'll get to the interview with uh with Amanda and um I like this interview with uh, with Amanda you know I say sometimes that it's nice to um have occasional episodes where there isn't anything dramatic to, to, to point to. And this, I think, is one of those episodes. But it's also a very interesting episode in that um, uh, stuff kind of unfurls as it, as it goes along uh, as well. And um, I just, yeah, and I like talking to her. All right, here you go. Uh, struggle in a Sentence. This was filled out by Stein, who writes about uh, her anxiety. How can I present myself so as not to disturb the experience of others? God, that is fantastic. Uh, How can I politely die on the inside? Um, Herbert will have the prime rib, describes her anorexia as, Every piece of food I encounter is a test I haven't prepared for. God, you guys are so good at this. A.L., writes about her depression. Major depressive disorder. I feel like I'm watching TV, but the show is my life and I'd rather just lay on the couch and watch it. God, I've felt that so many times. So many times. Uh, Kala gives us a uh, snapshot from her life. Um, struggling with uh, borderline personality disorder. She writes, Came home, uh, and had a shower so I could have sex with my boyfriend, found him watching some girls online. The last two days I've been punching my body so hard as a result. I feel disgusting and worthless and I don't know why, but I feel like it's true. Isn't it incredible how emotions can override intellect? It's just unbelievable. It's it's like the... Uh, the cliche of the skinny kid getting the sand kicked in the face by the uh the uh the big weightlifter uh or another reference that's older than that uh i showered today uh do i love that name shares about and for some reason i think almost all of the uh almost all of the surveys today um are female I Showered Today shares about her depression, uh, sleeping all the time because my dreams are so much better than my reality, about her anxiety, being too scared to poop in your own home because your roommate's boyfriend is visiting, so pooping in the trash bin in your room seems completely rational, about experiencing uh, racial or cultural bias, being closely watched by staff in a jewelry store for having brown skin yet none of them offer to help me because there's no way i'd be able to afford anything god that has to be so infuriating um and then this is fit filled out by amoeba uh who is agender and shares uh about their uh depression uh my life will magically be better if I quit my job, move to Chile, start an alpaca farm, even though I don't speak Spanish, have any money or farming experience, know anybody or have ever been there.
1: I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people. And it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let
0: loose and just be.
1: All my authors have different handwriting and different...
0: Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die. Stomach-clutching despair.
1: Ocean of sadness.
0: I came out over the phone
1: to them. I put myself on the anxiety diet in fourth grade. They told me I was wrong. The secrecy is what...
0: uh, Pilates teacher, mm-hmm. and um, was kind enough to write a, a very nice article about the podcast in the Atlantic, and we got to talking, and uh, lo and behold, you have some issues.
1: <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> I do.
0: <laughs> so I said, "Well, uh, let's record something, and see <clears throat> see how it goes, see if you're crazy enough."
1: We'll see. To
0: uh, I shouldn't use the word crazy. I use I use the word crazy in a in a um, in a humorous manner. But I know there's a lot of people that take issues with the with the word crazy. How do you feel about the word crazy?
1: I, I like it. I think it's kind of an affectionate term. Yeah, and unless I, you're talking to someone or you're talking about someone and you're calling them batshit crazy. I think if you use the word batshit, it's not very nice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So basically don't bring bats. Don't bring <laughs>
1: bats. Don't bring into guano. <laughs> it. Um,
0: I feel like it's uh kind of uh, people with mental illness it's kind of our uh our version of the N word or in the gay community you know mm. their their version of uh mm-hmm. the F word. It's psycho it's like is, like can, a, is a bad one. Yeah.
1: So you don't want to be called a psycho. But I
0: feel like we can kind of call each other. Sure. That but um you know, if I were to read uh, somebody talking about we got to get these crazy people off the street, uh, then I then I take exception. Anyway, boy, I got down a rabbit hole quickly. <laughs> uh, where where to start with your story? Can I ask how old you are?
1: Sure, I'm 30 years old. Okay, yeah. And
0: um, you're originally from where?
1: Um, I was born in New Jersey, but grew up in Connecticut. My hometown is Newtown, Connecticut.
0: Okay. And where are you based now?
1: I just moved to New Haven, Connecticut. Okay. Mhm.
0: So did you have money growing up? Connecticut's kind of a wealthy state, isn't it?
1: Um it is pretty wealthy. I'd say it's pretty disparate. There are very poor parts, there are very rich parts. Um I'd say it was middle class. My mom um was a firefighter for a time. Um my stepdad also a firefighter. My dad is, that how is they a met? Yeah, that is how they met. Yep. And fires. You know, that
0: free time in the firehouse, what that, what that can lead to.
1: All the trainings, Chi- all the offsite training. Chili
0: and fucking. That's <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not at the same time.
1: Chili, the food?
0: Yeah, that's oh. like firehouse chili. That's like the,
1: oh, the okay. thing.
0: Uh, w- apparently, if firemen and women are great cooks because they have so much, at least in a lot of areas, supposedly. Yeah. So much time.
1: Yeah, that's true. To, yeah. to
0: kill, and so they, they I, love to I've cook. I've heard a lot
1: of stories about, you know, what's for dinner and stuff like that, and who was cooking and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, the
0: so job yeah. is going to be to bog this thing down once we get any momentum going. Okay. We I can just like, talk about words and food and
1: stuff. I that's fine.
0: Like, yeah, it's I know. Cool like with momentum. <laughs> uh, so what was it like being raised by by two firefighters?
1: Um, it was It was cool. I mean, I remember... My mom is is just kind of a huge inspiration for me. She's a a pretty gung-ho lady, clearly. So, mm-hmm. um it was inspiring to have her be a firefighter. She was the only female firefighter um in her department at that time and I don't know if there's been any since. Um but it was also scary. Um I think I had a lot of anxiety about her work and you know her going to work and stuff like that. I think but it not was scary. But not about your dad. Well, my stepdad, um, no, not so much. And then my dad is a, is a car mechanic. Okay. Um,
0: how how uh, old were you when your parents got uh, divorced?
1: Divorced? I think I was about four years old. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. And you caused it. <laughs> Most four-year-olds are. They, uh, yeah. At least uh, if you're doing your job as, your par- as a parent, you'll let them know they are the cause of it.
1: Yeah. No, I don't think I ever felt that way. Um, and I don't think I really understood it at the time. I think later on as, like, I grew up and the families changed and stuff, that's when things got a little bit more difficult to navigate.
0: So give me some snapshots from from childhood Hmm. or adolescence that you feel, like, Hmm. informed. Even if they didn't have anything necessarily to do with you, it could be someone else's life, but how you felt about
1: it. Okay. Um... Well Or
0: or a moment from your life, though not dramatic, that you feel kind of encapsulates how you felt, the, your inner life, how mm. you felt in your place in the world and how you felt about mm. who you were or who you thought you were.
1: I think as I got towards adolescence, um, things became more difficult with my family. Um, and I love my family now. I'm at a pretty good place with everyone in my family and I treasure them. But um, my dad remarried when I was about 12 or 13. And my mom remarried um, maybe when I was five or six. um,
0: To the firefighter? To the firefighter,
1: yeah. yeah. So I think it was just, it was difficult. Um, I think it was difficult for my dad. My, My dad, he was cheated on by my mom. And I think that's been really hard for him and when, has, did, when
0: did you find out
1: um when i was like 13 from my then stepsisters actually um so
0: do you remember what you thought or felt when you heard that
1: i think i felt angry
0: there were your step stepdad's kids
1: N- uh no it was actually <laughs> my um my father's confusing my father's um most recent wife who's now his ex-wife her children her daughters okay.
0: so your first stepmom's kids yes Okay.
1: yes yes my only only stepmom i've ever had okay. yeah
0: and, and what did what did you think or feel when you heard that
1: i think i was angry because i felt i should have known that and confused And I think it was kind of in those moments that I felt really like that animosity between the two sides of my family. Um,
0: Do you often feel pitted between your parents?
1: Yeah, there's still not my mom and my dad don't talk. Um, I think they saw each other for the first time in a really long time last summer and um they just have no reason really to speak with each other which is kind of a shame but that's it works for them i guess
0: would they talk badly about each other uh to you as a kid
1: <sighs> mm, i don't know i don't i don't think so. yeah yeah a little bit not not nothing like excessive but and even now a little bit. And it's not always negative, but they'll still talk to me about each other sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like my dad will comment on my mom's behavior in a certain way and vice versa.
0: Do you find yourself wanting to say something out loud about it?
1: Um, I find myself finding ways to reroute the conversation so I can protect either side Mm -hmm. because i can kind of see see what both of them went through and how hard it was and you know i just don't want to feed into any of the yucky stuff yeah so um but i think um something that i've been Realizing a lot lately, and stuff that's happened to me in the past year or so, in my own personal life, I've kind of found triggers of that in my childhood, and they those feelings are feelings of exclusion and um, rejection. Um, and I think it started, and I didn't really realize this until pretty recently. uh, My mom and my stepdad. They had um my half brother when I was eight years old, and I was like pretty mean to him. I was bu- a bully. I mean, I love him. He's a wonderful person, and we love each other now. But it's it's like kind of a an ongoing family joke that I was a terrible babysitter, and I was I was a bully. And I see now that like I really felt um excluded from that unit like there's a unit inside that part of my family there's i have an older brother as well who is my full brother um and so there's he and i and then my mom and my stepdad and then our younger half-brother and um my mom and my stepdad and my younger half-brother are very very close and they're very similar people um (laughs) They're, you know, firefighter, military, my younger brother's in the army, and um, my older brother and I are just kind of um, a little bit more creative, and we don't have that routine, that kind of like clear-cut path in our lives. Um, and I just am seeing that that is um, something that I even deal with to this day. It still comes up in a lot of ways. Um, oh, so? Well, it's just, it's just very clear how, um, how praised and how, um, adored my younger brother is for, for who he is and his accomplishments. Not that my older brother and I are not, but, um.
0: Would it, would it be fair to say the degree to which he is, uh, makes you feel excluded?
1: yeah I guess so yeah like
0: or does it f- feel more genuine with him than it does with you, or it feels
1: I don't know if I would say it's more genuine. I think it's just they have so much more in common and they're so invested in his um his path and what he's doing with his life, and you know he's their son together, you know it makes a whole lot of sense oh, for- yeah i didn't
0: i didn't think about, about yeah. that. i for, i was assuming he was from um a previous marriage. Yeah, no, that yeah, was... Yeah, that's what a half-brother would be. Yeah, Otherwise, he'd be a step Yeah, it's step-brother. so
1: confusing. I know, but... Uh,
0: oh, you you can't imagine some of the flowcharts I've needed for yeah. <laughs> blended families in mm-hmm. the past uh, doing this podcast. Some some real... Uh, yeah. like, the, like the hierarchy of the, the mafia. <laughs> You're like, okay, now, this kid is the the who again right so that feeling of being kind of uh excluded is something that yeah is is with you uh, Mm -hmm. today is that one of the biggest issues that that you struggle with what do you what are the big issues you struggle with
1: um well exclusion is definitely a a button for me and i've realized um in the past year or so that um Connection and community is is huge for my mental health. Um, depression is big for me. Um, I was bulimic for a while, overate, overexercised. I had panic attacks when I was younger, but I don't really have those anymore. But kind of a general anxiety.
0: When was the last but, time your eating was disordered.
1: <sighs> hmm. Well, I would say last year. I, I've i come a long way with the eating part, but I'm still kind of piecing it all together. I was um, over-exercising a lot, and I didn't really realize it, <laughs> and that was kind of a way of, of purging. Um, I remember you had a woman on the podcast. She specializes in treating eating disorders, and she said something along the lines of, um, you know, anytime you're subtracting calories in your head, no matter what you're doing, that's purging. And I was like, still purging but it makes a whole lot of sense you know and uh yeah i think the eating the eating part has um leveled out a lot for me i mean i have a huge appetite i love food and i've kind of come to terms with that and i've really um fought a lot mentally against diet culture and and um you know body image and the way that we think we're supposed to look so i've done a lot of work just mentally with that kind of stuff it's just kind of like placing that in my own body you know which has been kind of tough um and i also know that i don't have a realistic perspective of my body um so i kind of keep that in mind at all times like even last night i was at um my friend's family's house and we went up to the hot tub and i like was in the bathroom in my bathing suit i was like i'm disgusting and you know an hour later after the hot tub i was like oh i actually look pretty good so it's just like totally
0: what do you think changed i have no idea you think you relaxed more
1: maybe i was laughing a lot in the hot tub (laughs) (laughs) maybe that helped i don't know it's just, it's crazy. It's it doesn't make any sense. So I, well, you know, I just keep that in mind.
0: When I was at my most depressed, um, my image of uh, my body image was vastly different than after I started getting treating for depression and got on meds. Yeah. I I viewed myself much much less uh, harshly. Hmm. So uh, I believe that it, it it could be like a chemical thing. You know, maybe some shot of endorphins. Uh, yeah some some laughter sure helped it that that makes sense to me
1: yeah yeah that does make a lot of sense bunch of friends in a hot tub laughing so you I think you're better. disgusting yeah sometimes i do
0: um <laughs> what are some of the other the greatest hits in uh, amanda's head about herself
1: mm, foolish I'm kind of unforgiving of my mistakes
0: are you and, forgiving and rel- of other people's mistakes
1: oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Just me, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Can you think
0: of a, a recent mistake that you made that uh, where you went into a spiral over mm-hmm. it? What your thoughts about yourself were?
1: I um, I decided it would be a good idea to start having sex with my ex boyfriend after about a year of being apart, and it ended really badly. And when it did end really badly. Um, it was, um, what I was telling myself was, you're so stupid. You're so stupid. You're so stupid. Why'd you do this? You're so stupid. That kind of thing.
0: Why did you go back to him? Were you lonely?
1: Yeah, I was in a bad, bad spot.
0: Is he single at that point? Is he in a relationship?
1: Uh, he was single Pretty okay. sure. Yeah.
0: Um, and what, what is the rational voice in your head saying? And what is the lonely voice in your head saying when you pick up that phone? Did you contact him?
1: Mm, mm-hmm. I, I knew he still loved me, and I still loved him, and I still do love him. It's just, uh, I was like, oh, but what if What if this could still work? It was like there hadn't been enough closure, I think.
0: What about the relationship was not working?
1: Lots of things. Nice. Let's <laughs> um, I think we just had different values. Um I thought that would work for me for a while, but I wasn't really listening to my gut, I guess. <laughs>
0: Your gut was telling you, th- this is not a great fit. Yeah. But the lonely part of you was like... Yeah,
1: but he was also a wonderful boyfriend, and I had been in bad relationships prior to that, and there was that rationalization, too. It's like, he's a wonderful, supportive boyfriend, and there are other reasons why I should stay.
0: So he wasn't abusive?
1: No. No. The last time we were together, though, I kind of realized he was borderline emotionally abusive.
0: Can you can you be more specific? If you're comfortable. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm nervous about him listening to this, but um, but basically, when we were sleeping together again, um, we were having um conversations that were I thought were pretty pretty good about, you know, obviously this is difficult because it's not casual we we both have feelings for each other and xyz so all that was out there on the table and then when everything exploded he um basically lied and and was telling me on the phone that um it was all out of carnal lust, and I was crazy. She should have listened to everyone else. I was crazy, and never should have gotten back together with me, and blah blah blah. He should
0: stuff. have listened to everybody else. Yeah.
1: there's kind of a long backstory with like all my hometown friends and this like weird Dawson's Creek, romantic indie drama that he was kind of a part of.:
0: Had you brought drama to the thing? is that what was
1: i didn't No, i think i got sucked into it though i got sucked into it it was kind of irresistible um i still struggle with with uh explaining what happened because it's That's so the weird. worst isn't it yeah it's the worst i think i'm still like figuring out what happened and why and it's a little bit more clear now but um that whole thing was kind of what set off my depression last year um and it was that whole exclusion thing i felt booted wow. from my my like oldest friend group and um he
0: got the friends and the divorce
1: yeah he did it but that was another a layer of it that was like extra painful and um i mean more power to him like he can have as many friends as he wants and i don't like claim to anyone but it was just like oh This is so weird. (laughs) This whole situation was so weird.
0: Imagine that brought up all of that trigger of I'm excluded.
1: Yeah, it was hard. So that's why I decided to go drive across the country and try to live somewhere else, and then I went back home.
0: How would the depression present itself?
1: Crying all the time. Just always being on the verge of tears. Feeling very downtrodden, no hope not really able to work much um
0: trouble concentrating
1: mm-hmm. yeah definitely trouble
0: with motivation
1: oh yeah Mm-hmm.
0: how long how long did it last
1: i would say it got pretty bad this most recent one it got really bad it was like kind of a year-long process that i was able to kind of have a little vacation when I started my road trip I was like oh I feel great I'm starting a whole new life and everything's going to be great and it just creeped back so it was from it was probably from the spring to the spring or the spring to the summer-ish yeah and um I went on medication for a little while I don't know if it helped maybe it did a little bit I've been on um, Lexapro in the past, and that was really, really helpful. But there were some side effects that just, like, I couldn't really handle. What? Like what? I couldn't have an orgasm, and I also couldn't get the chills from music anymore. And I felt like those two <laughs> <laughs> symptoms were interrelated somehow, and I just knew I wouldn't be able to, to do that long term. Um, so I opted for Wellbutrin, also because I thought, you know, that yeah, this is like, pretty shitty that I did this, but I wanted to um, go on that also because I knew that uh, sometimes you could lose weight, (laughs) (laughs) although I don't think I actually did. So, I I mean, in retrospect, I think I'm more of a serotonin person, and that's for dopamine and norepinephrine, and um, I think it was good to just take it and take care of myself, you know? And I think it it helped at some point. And
0: to see... What it's like, because a lot of times we don't understand what the side effects of not being on a med is until we've been on a med where some of the side effects – Um, where our depression changes. Yeah. Maybe some new side effects like not being able to orgasm or not being able to feel as deeply come up, but you also get to experience a reprieve from constant anger, constant paranoia. Oh, yeah. You know, a feeling of wanting to jump out of your skin, Mm -hmm. unable to get out of bed, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of other things until I felt the opposite of that. I never realized that I was feeling those other things. And so I think, um, I think that's, a, a benefit to at least checking meds out if nothing else seems to seems to be working. You know, we had a guest on uh, psychiatrist uh, Dr. Melanie Watkins, and we were just talking about how um, meds really should almost never be the first th- thing to to reach for. Um, you know, it should be talk therapy. It sh- should make sure you're exercising and eating right, and mm-hmm. maybe meditating, and all these other organic ways that you can kind of deal with it but um it's the, the, the whole med dance is so complicated and it's, it's so, so hard ex- it can be so exhausting for some people it's super simple They the first one they try it works for them and they stay on it for a decade but mm. most people i know it's it's not that simple
1: yeah thank god they're they exist
0: yeah i think i'd be dead with without them but you're not on anything now mm-hmm do you, do you think you're experiencing some struggle because of the lack of it? Do you feel like some of the things that the meds help with had helped with are creeping back in now that you're off them?
1: I hope not. I mean, I haven't been off of them for too too long. I think How long? Maybe the beginning of August. Um,
0: so that's like what eight weeks. Yeah. Nine weeks. Yeah. Um, it can it can take up to five months for the the symptoms to come to come back. That's how I got fooled. That's actually what led to me starting this podcast.
1: I remember you. Saying That's right. That. You interviewed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. Um,
1: yeah, and winter's coming too. Oh,
0: this is, you're like got your own Game of Thrones. <laughs> you got your own Game of Thrones going. Yeah. What happens to Jon Snow in your? Do you watch Game of Thrones?
1: I don't, but I know I should.
0: That's really good. I watched the first episode um, and gave up on it, and then a friend of mine convinced me to give it another shot, and I did. And I was like, "Oh my god, this show is fantastic!" So, give me give me some other snapshots from your from your life or some struggles that you that you deal with.
1: I think my biggest struggles, I hope they're behind me now. I mean, the whole eating disorder thing—that was a huge mess. It was really really hard and um just all consuming and so violent like making yourself vomit is so fucking gross and and violent
0: how often how many times a week were you making yourself vomit
1: several probably
0: so it wasn't necessarily an everyday thing no and that's not to minimize it. i'm just i'm just trying to get a yeah,
1: a no. picture for it it was interesting because I had been uh, an overeater for a long time, a binge eater, and more than anything in the world, I wanted to like be able to make myself throw up, and I couldn't. And then I finally figured out how to do it, but I wasn't very good at it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that was like another area where I felt.
0: What what determines somebody's <laughs> being good at making themselves throw right? up?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I couldn't like get as much out out as i wanted to until like there were times i don't know i just other people probably did it better than me (laughs) (laughs) so uh it was very very painful and all of that but i was like oh am i even like i I think a lot of people that you interview talk about you know um, am i even sick enough am i like
0: god that's such a common one yeah i um, I even you know, I'm even a failure as a bulimic. I'm even right. a failure as an anorexic. <laughs> yeah. Which is just so... Yeah. You know, when I first got sober from alcohol, I felt like in many ways I was a little bit ashamed that my story wasn't dramatic enough. But yeah. when I compared the feelings that I had mm-hmm. to other people's feelings, feelings of worthlessness and anxiety yeah. and dread uh, and anger... um. It matched theirs, and so I think for anybody that's struggling with some kind of addiction, your story doesn't have to be. It's the feelings that we're running from underneath it that's that's important. Um, describe for me what you would think and feel when you... Were in your disease, and you had made the decision. I'm going to sit down and binge. I'm going to go to the grocery store. What mm-hmm. would you? What would you get? And what would your?
1: Like what kind of food?
0: What kind of food would you get? Would just once you decided you were going to go do it? Would your adrenaline mm-hmm. kick in?
1: Yeah, it'd be like tunnel vision. It's like nothing could stop it.
0: It's it's the worst, and it's the greatest.
1: Yeah. Talk about it. Um. Well, for a time, I worked as a projection manager at this movie house, and they had lots of treats. It was a great place to be if you were uh, bulimic, let me tell you. Um, Oh, God. Like I would do the kids' birthday parties, and they would have Carvel ice cream cake. And I will always remember the packaging on that cake. The slogan is it's what happy tastes like. It's oh like my This is God. so fucked up. Um, so, yeah, like, sweets would be... It, it, honestly, it really didn't even matter sometimes. Sometimes I would go home and, and decide to binge, and it would be, like, yogurt and cereal. It's, like, kind of not as satisfying. But, yeah, lots... You know, bad food, generally. You know, ice cream and... Nah, I wouldn't say bad food. I don't think of food as good or bad, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that... And excess is not good, obviously. Um,
0: and would you feel a release at some point? Would, the release, would you experience the release sometimes before you even put the food in your mouth? Just the decision that you were going to do that, would that be a release? Or would you need to feel a certain feeling in your body of being stuffed to yeah. feel the release? Or th- or the throwing up to feel the release?
1: Well, I think it was during the, the, the binge where I would just be like blissed out you know um and then afterwards i would feel immediately disgusting and in pain even
0: well if you're doing it right yeah <laughs> any addiction if you're doing it right <laughs> the shame should be burning hot
1: yeah uh and uh yeah but the purging like a good purge i would feel completely empty afterwards and um clean clean and just like high almost
0: i've heard people yeah. say that
1: and that was like the the ultimate goal you know i i didn't never i never wanted to binge because especially when i wasn't able to purge you know because mm. you just what can you do after that you just have to sit there and digest all that food and you know try to like exercise a lot Afterwards, or something. But, you know, purging was kind of just like the ultimate achievement. (laughs) But it didn't work out for too long. And
0: did anybody else know that you were doing this?
1: I told my mom. I told a couple friends. I went into an outpatient treatment facility for a little while. I probably did it, was probably purging for about two years. And then I was able to stop. And then it was just kind of slowly gaining control because I would still overeat and emotionally eat and stuff like that so it was just kind of gaining slowly gaining control of those um symptoms as well
0: What tools did you learn in your outpatient if any uh to help you deal with the feelings
1: I don't know how effective outpatient was I mean I guess it was useful in kind of getting like a setup uh Routine going for eating, so you could kind of see what normal portions looked like and stuff like that um, so that was helpful, but
0: any kind of communication things or intuition about
1: intuition about food and stuff like that No, about what you're what feeling. you're feeling because
0: you know i I think oftentimes. Those of us with addictions, we don't even, we can't even identify that we're feeling sad, that we're feeling anxious. Oh, yeah. And a big corner turner for me has been listening to my body and not just always assuming that I'm wrong, I'm. Dumb, um, dramatic. To go, okay. I'm, I'm feeling anxiety. What's what's going yeah. on here? What am I afraid of? And yeah. then to find people to be able to communicate that too. Pick up the phone and say, "Hey, man, can I talk to you? I'm in a really, I'm in a really kind of scary place right now, and I just need to talk it out with someone."
1: Yeah, honestly, I mean that that probably was a part of my treatment, but I haven't really been able to put those things together until more recently in my in my life and in therapy and stuff like that and I can really relate to what you said because like sometimes I really need a lot of time to figure out like what's going on sometimes even in conversations I feel like I need minutes before I can answer a question because I just need to sort through it all you know
0: I oftentimes don't think of what my reply should have been until I'm in the car on the way home (laughs) And I'm like, that's what I should have said.
1: Right, and I think it's um a, a, an important tool for me, and maybe you figured out a way to do this is just to be like, I'll get back to you on that. Yes, <laughs> like you know, can, let me can, think can, about that. Yeah, can that's I a think powerful, about that? powerful thing to say, I guess. Do you
0: do you feel like um you struggle with codependence because that strikes me as as like a. Uh, v- People pleaser, very worried about uh, hurting other people's feelings.
1: If that's what codependency is, then yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've heard the word a lot, but I'm not it's entirely clear um, as to what it means. I guess it's putting other people's needs in front of your own at yeah, the end of the day. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think I do that a lot.
0: Where do you think that comes from?
1: I'm not sure. Were, um, were any
0: of your caretakers uh, addicts or alcoholics or? Addictive in in towards something where
1: my mom has had a lot of issues, similar issues with food, Mm -hmm. Um, and she's told me that my dad was an alcoholic, but I don't know if that's actually true, Um, or if that was true when I was younger. Um, I would say there's yeah, there's like addiction and stuff in my family. I've definitely. had trouble with alcohol in the past. Um, a lot of, when I was bulimic, um, that was a, a a big part of that. That's too. a nice
0: one-two punch, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> binge, binge on everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Do you remember at a young age um, feeling like you needed to t- tiptoe around your parents? feelings or or emotions
1: well um something that makes a lot of sense to me now and especially um, in the light of uh, bulimia and eating disorders and stuff was um i felt i didn't have much of a voice growing up um specifically with my mom and my stepdad they were my primary caretakers i lived with them and um and i see them do this to my little brother now and I'm just like oh god they're still doing it they do like the the gang up and the like the gang up lecture team so when they're talking to you about something um it's not it's not a safe space where you can talk about how you're feeling they just basically tell you why you're wrong and what you should be doing and um I remember so many times just sitting at the kitchen counter and being talked down and just like all of my emotions would just like get packed down into like this big ball of frustration or anger and I just wouldn't even know what I was feeling anymore and I would just cry from frustration and I remember my mom always asking me you know well how are you feeling now how are you feeling and I would just say I I don't know and I literally didn't know because I just it had all just been beaten out of me you know there was no way for me to safely speak about what I was going through. Yeah, it, because it
0: sounds like you were afraid that if you said something, it was going to be quote-unquote wrong. Yeah, yeah. That's that, I'm so sorry you, you had to deal with that. That's that's a really tough thing on a kid. I understand why so many parents are that way, because if they haven't been taught, they're just, you know, to use a, a terrible metaphor or analogy, your parents are putting out fires and why shouldn't my kids' issue just be something that I come and I tackle
1: mm. you
0: know they probably don't consider mm. that listening is a part of yeah uh, dealing with it and maybe considering that other people experience things emotionally different than they do
1: yeah and they have i mean i can see both all of my parents my mom my mom my stepdad my my father their families that they came from it's like oh god those poor people, like, they had a terrible time growing up, too. And I know it's just, you know, a struggle to piece it all together. So um, I think it's hard. You know, you want to make it a better life for your your kids and have the family that you always wanted. But it's, it's it doesn't always work out that way. You know, you do the best you can, I guess. Yeah, right?
0: and your, your coping tools may not be the coping tools that work for your kids. Mm. You know, I wish they, there was a parenting class where they could, teach parents that, that, you know, you're, you're living a task oriented life and having structure and discipline and all that stuff may be good for you to navigate the world, but it might not work for your kid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hope it's getting better for kids. I don't know. Well, you know, I think the more that we're talking about it, because your parents
0: sound like really well-meaning people.
1: Oh, They're awesome. You know? Yeah.
0: It just sounds like they're, everybody's got a blind spot and maybe that was their yeah. their blind spot that they yeah. they didn't know any different. They didn't know a different way of, of, yeah. of coping.
1: And I remember recently I actually had an opportunity to kind of advise my mom in a different direction. My younger brother, he is on his way into the Army now but has had a series of snafus in trying to get into the Army through school and stuff like that, and he failed spanish and it was this whole fiasco he failed spanish and he wasn't graduating with his class and whatever and she asked me for advice in talking with him because he was kind of like clammed up and wasn't really talking about it and i was like well i think what you should do is kind of just like give him an opportunity to really just like work through and talk and just don't really say what you think is the right thing just let him just let it all out i think that would be like an inviting thing for him to do or something like that so i was like i hope i hope you listen to that did she (laughs) um i i she might have she thanked me later for that piece of advice so maybe it worked out i don't know i wasn't i wasn't there to survey what happened but i mean my mom and my stepdad they've taken care of me so many times like through the eating disorder before that in high school, I had like debilitating panic attacks. And I just remember like crying on my stepdad's lap. And last year when I was on my road trip, I came home from Seattle for Christmas. And like, I was so depressed that I needed, I just needed to go home. And they paid several hundred dollars to change my plane ticket in order to get me home like seven days earlier. And, you know, they just...
0: Sounds like they really love you.
1: Oh, They do, yeah. I'm very grateful. My family's awesome. They really, I feel just very safe with them. I mean, yeah, I feel very safe with them.
0: So it sounds like things have changed. Yeah. From how they from that kid that would yeah. be so. Well, I mean, at I'm an counter. adult
1: now and I kind of have figured out how to navigate those Some people don't though. I know. Some people don't. <laughs> Some
0: people still resume those those roles and go to that place of childhood shame and yeah. you know, I can't talk back. And,
1: and there are times when I know that I have to in order to keep the peace, I need to stay quiet or let things go. Um
0: that's an intuition, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's not perfect, but... Wait, I g- go ahead. Yeah.
0: I was going to ask, where would you learn those those skills? From your outpatient thing or just
1: Probably therapy? In, in therapy, yeah. I mean, I've been in therapy on and off for a long time. Um, I've been seeing my therapist most recently for... Well, we're coming up on our two-year anniversary. <laughs> um. And she two
0: year anniversary that's wellbutrin, right?
1: <laughs> what do you mean
0: like you know paper is your one year anniversary uh you know twenty five years is oh, gold
1: okay two yes. year anniversary yeah but
0: yeah, that applies joke. to
1: my situation for sure
0: again, <laughs> we had too much momentum going. <laughs> I got too insecure, and uh so uh two year anniversary.
1: Yeah, um, and she's helped me really just kind of uh, feel validated in whatever I'm feeling, which was revolutionary for me. She's like, "Oh no, wait, like that's totally understandable." I was like, "Oh, it is." What'd oh. that feel like? Okay, great, amazing, seriously, like revolutionary for sure. And she, my takeaway with with my work with her is to get in tune with my gut because my gut knows and I tend to rationalize things and overthink things and gloss things over. And, um, I think, yeah, I think in working with her, I've just kind of been a little bit more aware of dynamics and boundaries, certain things. Like I, if I, when, when my mom and I do fight, it's the worst thing in the world and it's, horrible and it hasn't happened in a number of years but i can kind of sense when those things those fights could occur so i kind of just like step back for a while so i don't know i guess it's just been practice talk
0: about your therapist what you love about your therapist
1: yeah she just um has made me feel very safe and yeah just validated and she's kind of Brought things to my attention that um, I hadn't really thought of. She likes to talk about dreams. I'm super into dreams, Mm -hmm. which is fun. Um, Yeah, I think she's she's just very kind and warm and um, makes me feel um, really good about myself, usually.
0: I find that the, the therapists that I click with the most are the ones where I can feel them feeling me without them even saying anything Mm
1: -hmm.
0: do you do you experience that with your therapist with just the look on their face that I that I feel empathy um
1: she's very empathetic yeah for sure
0: I can't imagine having gotten anywhere in therapy without that feeling being underneath at all
1: Mm -hmm. probably
0: had four or five different ones over the last 25 years Mm -hmm. um and I've kind of kind of bounced around. Uh, I think the longest I've ever had one was for maybe uh, a couple of years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and as my issues changed, I would try to find one that yeah. specialized more mm-hmm. in something. And then I would have one where there were, it d- didn't really quite work out, where I wasn't feeling like their full attention was in the session, and I mm-hmm. knew enough that I got to stick up for myself and move on. Yeah. And that was a difficult conversation, but, um, yeah, I knew that. I can if imagine were...
1: having that conversation. That <laughs> seems like the ultimate, like meta experience. <laughs> it was, it
0: was. And I actually even said it actually, I think I did it via email or, yeah. or, or, or I left a phone message, but I said, and I know that you, um, know that this is a good way for me to care for myself uh, because I'm feeling a lack of focus on, on your part. Um, That this is a healthy choice for me to make Um, but I want to thank you for the things that we have uncovered and worked on and you know whenever I say something that's kind of hard to say I always like to mix in nice things that are also true Mm. but I always feel it's important to talk about the vibe of a therapist because um, for a lot of us that are kind of stuck in our heads afraid of getting help our brains paint this picture of what help is going to look like and it's never a picture of a room full of empathetic people or a therapist with an empathetic face mm-hmm. it's judgment it's scorn it's isol you know it's being ostracized it all the all the greatest hits of our of our sickness mm-hmm. so i like to whenever i can highlight A positive uh, experience because there are bad experiences too. You know, it's horrifying some of the experiences people have with bad therapists, but that's the reality. Is there are some bad ones out there, but majority of them are good. Yeah. Want to do some fears and loves?
1: Yeah, I wrote a bunch down today. Let's do it. Okay. Where are we starting with? I want you to give me some fears. Some fears. Okay. Um, My lack of focus preventing me from making something great. I have that one. I have that one. It's a good one. Good one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That I have not or will not stop pushing good men away. Oh, this is a good one. Sharding (laughs) slash fribbling.
0: I know what sharding is. Sharding mm-hmm. is shitting and farting at the same time yeah and what's the other one fribbling fribbling
1: yeah it's kind of the same thing it's um I remember my brother and my dad coming up with it when I was younger Um, and a fribble is actually something you can get at friendlies if I'm not mistaken but it's a fart with a dribble <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: I was just uh, talking with friends today we were we were swapping shit stories and uh uh there's nothing there's nothing like, like a, a nice round table of shit stories to uh to make you feel less alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh give me give me another one.
1: Uh gaining weight. Depression uh and moving back to negative thinking. Let's just go back
0: to the gaining weight one for a second. Mm-hmm. So let's say you do gain weight. Then what?
1: Um I think the thing about gaining weight is, like, you don't realize you've gained weight until you've actually done it, and then you can't do anything about it right away, you know? You're just, like, stuck with it.
0: Okay, so then what happens? Um, so then you got you got weight on that you can't immediately get rid of? Yeah. So what happens then?
1: I just feel gross.
0: <laughs> okay, so then you feel gross.
1: Yeah. Um, and I would probably start planning on how to lose it maybe exercising more. I don't think I would diet or anything like that, but figure out a way to be more active.
0: So it sounds like you, even if you did gain weight, you'd have a solution for for losing it.
1: Yeah, I guess so.
0: I just like to talk things through sometimes because yeah. in my head it's always it like a- ask me something that I'm that I'm afraid of.
1: What are you afraid of?
0: Um I'm afraid that sleeping as much as I do, um, I'm not going to accomplish the things I want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, and this is what I do to try to get myself out of those things is like, okay, then what? Okay, so then I'm not accomplishing as much as I should. So then, um, I'm not going to be able to uh, keep up with. As the world becomes more expensive, I won't be making enough money because I'm underproductive. So um, I won't be able to live the lifestyle that I'm living now. Okay, so let's say that happens. Then I won't be able to eat another good meal again. I'll be living on ramen noodles, and mm-hmm. then okay, and then what? And then I won't be able to afford my car insurance. so I'll have to get rid of my car, and I'll have to tra- take the train everywhere. Okay, and then what? Then I'll be stuck on the train, and it'll be 105 degrees, and uh, I'll be sweating everywhere, oh, and it'll take me three hours you to get snowball someplace. Snowball that stuff. That's exactly it. That's Oof. exactly it. And and in it, I probably stopped at one tenth of the way in to where my my brain goes, but. It, I can't see how ridiculous it is until I talk it out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. What you're because the
0: feeling that I'm going to be 80 and toothless and homeless and unloved and full of regret, I immediately go to that place without the tape playing all the ridiculous steps in between. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I can relate to that too. So
0: when I wake up at noon, I am that eighty year old person without mm-hmm. teeth mm-hmm. living in a shelter, unsafe, unloved, with no future, and full of regret.
1: Ugh. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I can I can I can defuse it now, whereas in the past it would I would then get angry about it. And I would need to find somebody to blame, so I would pick at my wife, or I would lash out at somebody on the freeway, Mm -hmm. because it was just this nebulous anger at myself that I was out of touch with. Mm -hmm. But that's what I get from, you know, they call it playing the tape through. Mm -hmm. Okay, then what? Mm -hmm. And then what?
1: Have you ever thought about the amount of rest that you require in order to do what you do?
0: That's too kind to myself.
1: Okay. Just wondering.
0: <laughs> I slept for about 11 hours yesterday and uh, just really was like, didn't hate myself, but was just disappointed.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I feel that way, too. I need a lot of sleep, and especially when I'm surrounded by people who don't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm lazy.
0: I am at the back of the line. But I turn into a
1: child if I don't get enough sleep. It's very unbecoming.
0: Give me some more fears.
1: Being too much, too loud, too clumsy, too emotional, too erratic.
0: Boy, that does not sound like you at all.
1: Hmm. I I feel that way sometimes, though. Often
0: to be to to have an emotional uh outburst in your family growing up was that deeply frowned upon
1: um I don't know not I don't think so not in any particular way I mean I don't think it would have been welcome necessarily right. but um
0: so you weren't told that certain emotions were wrong to to have
1: I probably was <laughs> I think more in terms of, uh, like, my close relationships just feeling too messy and, like, too burdensome. I see. You know what I mean? Um, I should be more neat and tidy about things, you know?
0: Yeah, I have, I have a fear uh, oftentimes that I don't know that I don't have boundaries. And that I'm just... Mm. People walk away from conversations with me just going, "Oh, that was... <laughs> Talking unpleasant. That was, was, yeah. That was, that guy needs to, you know, double up on his therapy because that was some stuff. Mm -hmm. That was some subject matter I'm not comfortable talking about.
1: Yeah. And I think that happens too, but I don't know. I think I don't really want to talk about the weather and stuff like that. I can't stand it. I like. I like having real conversations with people, so if you can scare them off, you can get your pool of real people. That's a good way of looking at it, (laughs) I like that. It's like dating, apparently. Scare them off.
0: (laughs) Uh, Let's do some loves.
1: Okay. Um, Cuddling with my mom and stepdad on the couch while watching TV.
0: Oh, that sounds really nice.
1: Laugh attacks when my belly hurts, and I can't control my body
0: and your face it almost goes like numb mm-hmm. like there's no like the muscles in it have just locked up
1: mm-hmm.
0: it is the best
1: that's so good I like
0: too when you're having a laughing attack with people and it starts to die down, and then you laugh at how hard you were laughing, and it yeah. starts up all over again. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, I love when my wife and I have one of those. It's usually around one of us doing something stupid,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, those are really freeing. Those are so healthy for a relationship. Yeah. It's almost like those purge all those low-level resentments that you have at each other. Mm-hmm. It's like those just get f- swept out to sea when you have one of those.
1: Yeah clean slate
0: yeah give me another one
1: um uh a related one for that is um being alone remembering something funny and laughing my ass off (laughs) usually related to an earlier laugh attack you know (laughs) yeah um being held driving somewhere beautiful with the windows down and the music loud when my cat lets me spoon her and then after that, it says Isn't it the best? rare in parentheses. <laughs> um, getting lost in a book. Morning sex. Strong coffee. Almost
0: everything feels better in the morning. You know, the first cup of coffee when I used to smoke pot, getting high in the morning felt more <laughs> intense. Sex in the morning. I think it's because we're starting from a place of no stimulation, so that first stimulation feels yeah. really intense.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's funny, too. Sometimes you just need a new day, and it really is a way to start over.
0: Do you go brush your teeth before you have morning sex, or do you roll the dice and just go? Oh, get no into way. It? Wow. You're a renegade. <laughs> go harder, go harder. a renegade.
1: <laughs> uh, more loves? Yeah becoming completely captivated by something i'm writing
0: that's a great one
1: when babies crack up
0: that is a good one
1: uh goofy family time
0: i honestly have never experienced that no ever and i'm so jealous when i see other families have that
1: Goofy friend time. Do you get to have goofy yes. friend time?
0: Yes, yes, that's good. definitely. Jimmy Pardo and I were laughing so hard one time. He told a story that, that at the end of it had no point, and I just started making fun of how long and pointless his story was and he was and he suddenly realized that i was right and we were both laughing so hard that we had to pull the car over and and i started dry heaving cuz i was laughing so hard oh, no. i was about to throw up oh my god and so to this day the end of his story ended with some somebody saying and 5 bucks for the shades and so uh, today, sometimes I'll just look at him, and I'll just go, and five bucks for the shades, and we both just start laughing. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he is one of the people that I laughed the, the hardest with, mm-hmm. and we're very silly, mm-hmm. uh, very silly around each other. Pat Francis is another guy um, who we play poker together once a month, and okay. we just do stupid characters and running jokes and it it truly it's a it is a table of eight-year-olds (laughs) in men's bodies yeah go ahead Uh,
1: my girlfriends got some good good ladies in my life
0: what do you love about them
1: uh they're all just badass and um really caring and nurturing really good solid friends you know
0: I love having friends that have equal parts strength and uh, vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That is just the most kick-ass thing in a in a friend.
1: Yeah. Connecting with strangers, however briefly. Uh, when it feels like I crushed a workout as opposed to stumbled through it. <laughs> I, I love
0: um, getting a cab ride or an Uber ride mm. and... Getting a 20-minute slice of somebody else's life, hearing Mm -hmm. where they're from, what their struggles are, what their pleasures are, what, you know, I I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you get out of the cab and you feel like, I just had a, made a new friend, even though I'll never see him again. I connected to another human being instead of just sitting silently in the back of the cab looking at my phone. Right. Yeah. Give me one more love.
1: One more love. <clears throat> Restorative Days of Nothing.
0: Just being. Yeah. Not doing.
1: Just like PJs, Netflix.
0: Um, food. The episode I did with Melissa Villasenor, uh had a great, sparked a great conversation about just being and, mm. you know, not mm-hmm. being so.
1: Oh, yeah. She was talking oriented. about being in the park. Yeah.
0: That was a great she's gardens. so funny. Yeah. What a sweetheart. Yeah. Um I would imagine that's a little bit of a struggle for you with your with your parents who are military and very disciplined um and they seem very task focused. Yeah. Um that must be hard for you to give yourself the permission to to do nothing on a certain day.
1: Yeah, I think it's also to uh, the feeling like as a freelance person I could always be doing something, yes. trying to get more work somehow or working on something, yeah. and just deciding to unplug is, is sometimes hard, yeah.
0: Amanda Bloom, thank you so much for coming and uh, sharing your life with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: If people want to get a hold of you, uh, how can they do that?
1: Uh, my website is amandabloom.com. I'm on Twitter at Amanda J Bloom. And um on Instagram at Bloom Amanda. It's all just kind of a little
0: You can probably find that all on your website. Right? Yeah, it's all on there. Okay. Yeah. Thanks
1: so Some Amanda. combination. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Many, many thanks to uh to Amanda. And um I'm not able to give you an update on her because uh, I'm recording this one day earlier and I forgot to tell her that when I asked her for an update so she hasn't sent it back to me. Um, but it sounds like she's doing well just from the brief re- reply. Uh, we know this much. We know Amanda is alive and I take that to be a positive thing. Um before I read um, some surveys, I want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support the podcast if you feel like it. Um, you can become a, a monthly donor on Patreon, which uh, is a really cool way to support the show. Um, depending on the level you donate at, you get uh, little gifts and things from me. You know, maybe I make a silly video or personalized message for you, things like that. Um, and you can also do a one-time donation through PayPal. Um, you can also be a, a recurring monthly donor through PayPal, but I think Patreon's better. Its interface is a lot easier, and PayPal doesn't give me the ability to uh, send you guys little gifts, um, things like that, um, through the through the internet, the series of uh, wires and tubes that I'm speaking to you through now. Um, you can also support us by using our Amazon link. If you're going to buy something at Amazon, uh, at least for right now, it's just the United States. I'm hoping to add uh, the UK and Australia to that as well and, uh, and Canada. Uh, I'll let you know when, when that happens. And when you buy something, after entering through those links, uh, Amazon gives us a little bit of money. And it doesn't make the price of what you're buying any more expensive. So that greatly helps. All of this stuff is really necessary to keep the show afloat. And I appreciate all of it. Um, What was the other thing about supporting the show? God darn it. I know there was one more thing about supporting the show. Oh, frequent flyer miles. Yes. Um, I have planned a trip to uh record some listeners um right now it's going to be the uk and um i don't know if i'm going to be able to uh go to any of the other countries across the pond my hope is i will but um if you want to donate frequent flyer miles i'm hoping to do that in um in may and uh record some some non-american voices I'm getting si- sick of us yanks um i have uh on a heavier note i have um not talked about this i made some allusions to it um several months ago that i was going through some some stuff some shit that I didn't want to talk about, Um, and uh, my wife and I are um, splitting up, and those of you that are familiar with the show know that we've been together um, a long time, Um, 28 years, and uh, I, I don't really want to say too much on it because she's a very private person, and I want to respect um, her privacy, um, and just know that it's uh, it wasn't anything um, it wasn't for any reason that is dramatic. Um, I think it's just two people uh, slowly growing apart. Um, and i you know because i I get so honest about the things in my life here on the podcast. Um, the only reason it's, it's out of, um, respect for her privacy that I, um, don't get more specific about, um, stuff like, uh, related to it, but it has been, um, has been really difficult, um, really, really difficult. And, um, um, just emotionally and um, um so i've been I've been living on my own now for um three months and um it's I've never lived on my own ever um, so this is the first time and uh, it's you know I think alcoholics and addicts hate change to begin with, um, but um, I'm hanging in there, um, and I just felt like uh, I felt like it was something that I I should share, um, but we had. Both decided to uh, wait until after all of the holiday stuff was uh, was done with to um, talk more publicly uh, about it. I mean, obviously, we shared it with friends and stuff, Um, and um, yeah, it's just it's it's hard to it's hard to talk about. So I'm gonna read some. Some surveys. This is a struggle in a sentence survey, and this was filled out by a person who calls uh, she calls herself. All I want is for Paul to cast me to hell. Well, done. And the reason I wanted to read this one is, well, I think you'll you'll know after I read it why I think this is an important thing to read. Um, she s- shares a snapshot. Uh, about therapy she writes i recently made the decision to go back to therapy so i scheduled an appointment with a new therapist she led me into her office and as i sat down she said you'll have to wait a moment i'm trying to figure out how to use my new iphone i watched her play with her phone for a few seconds and then my eyes began to wander around the room my focus drifted from her fake plants to the room's giant window which offered only a view of dirt and roots, which were below street level, so I'm not sure why they even built a window. I then noticed a small picture frame mounted on the wall. I recognized the painting it held. It was a duplication of Vincent van Gogh's Wheatfield with Crows. Having taken several art history classes, I knew this painting well. As most of us know, van Gogh had his own struggles with mental illness. His art was his way of both releasing his pain and expressing it for others to understand. Rather than carefully placing each brush stroke, he would pour all of his emotions into his paintings, sometimes violently. If given the chance to touch one of his paintings, you would feel that the brush strokes are sometimes several inches thick, as if he had thrown the paint onto the canvas. Even without taking technique into consideration, this painting is particularly haunting. It's often believed to be, be the, uh, one of Van Gogh's final paintings, and it's also said To hold hints of his imminent suicide. It depicts a dark, menacing sky full of crows, which are often a symbol of death. Beneath them lies a wheat field with one path leading down the center. The path leads to nothing and appears to end abruptly. I sat there for several minutes, staring at the painting and considering the parallels between its subject matter and my own life. I thought to myself, my life is a path headed to nowhere my life could end abruptly. I, too, feel an ominous sky constantly looming looming over me. About 10 minutes into our 30-minute session, the therapist finally put her phone down, looked at me for the first time, and said, You look like there's something you want to discuss. And as I was about to open my mouth, she continued with, But I want to talk to you about how you intend to pay for today's session. I looked at her in dumbfounded silence as she smiled, the least convincing smile I've ever seen. All I could do in that moment was silently question her character. I wondered if she was malicious enough to strategically place that painting in her office in order to subconsciously remind her clients of their suicidal ideations so they would continue booking sessions, or if she was as clueless about art as she was about dealing with people who are in emotional turmoil. That's such a, that is such an awful moment. You know, it was a struggle in a sentence, but that is, that, a therapist like that is one of the reasons why people have fears associated with going to therapy. That is one clueless motherfucker right there. And I'm so sorry that had, that had to be your experience, but thank God it sounds like you knew right off the, off the bat that that was a bad therapist. Um, this is filled out by I Want to Sleep and about her OCD. She writes, hitting myself over and over because maybe it'll stop me from thinking about hurting other people. About being a sex crime victim. Loving and yet being revolted by sex at the same time. And uh, she would like to hear more episodes dealing with physical disabilities. and She struggles with fibromyalgia. Um, use anytime you guys are interested in a particular subject, go to our website, use our search box and type in um, any keywords. And it's because there are some episodes uh, that deal with fibromyalgia. And I'm sure there are other ones on uh, physical disabilities as well. But uh, Pamela... Uh, M, I I don't want to use their last names because I don't know if I used their last names when I posted the episodes, but Pamela M. and Terry H. are uh, two episodes that deal with uh, fibromyalgia from what I remember. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Oosh Magoosh. And uh, she writes, The night I found out my mom was an alcoholic was the night she fell off the wagon after 10 years of sobriety. I was five or six. My sister, my dad, and I walked her upstairs and put her to bed. It was awful and scary and sad. When she woke up, she walked into where my dad and my sister were snuggled up. She stood in the doorway, hungover, naked, and with total bedhead. Our lives would never be the same. But for one moment, my dad looked at her, he must have been so angry, and just said, Nice hair. And we all laughed. That is... Awful. Um Intense fear of choosing a boring name shares about her alcoholism and drug addiction. It's like I've graduated from cutting myself to a more adult way of self-harm. Snapshot from her life... After being told by my mother for the millionth time that I just had to, quote, choose to be better, I was sobbing on my bed, hugging my childhood bear. I had to hide him back in my closet because I was overcome with the irrational fear that he would come to life and shame me for using him to masturbate from the ages of 6 to 13 daily. The thought terrified me. I bet that story didn't go where you were expecting. At least I was too paralyzed with fear and shame to cry any longer. Thank you for sharing that. And that is so abusive to tell a child to choose to be better emotionally. That is just so fucked. Anxious Picker shares an awfulsome moment. While drafting boundary-setting emails to my emotionally, sexually, and physically abusive parents, whom I've pretended were good parents until recently, I picked off all the skin from my toe calluses. So that is such an unpleasant image um so you just like type a word and then do a little picking Uh, remind me by the way to never use your keyboard this is a shame and secret survey i'm just going to read an excerpt from it. this is uh filled out by going through the motions and she's straight in her 30s and was raised in a dysfunctional environment and um she was the victim of sexual abuse uh, and reported it and her darkest thoughts uh that i don't deserve to feel happy that i can't enjoy sex every time i have sex i feel traumatized and think about childhood abuse my husband has a high sex drive so we have sex every night i hate it sex in the movies looks like this amazing thing and i've never felt that way about it i've been married 9 years and have faked every single orgasm and noise um, are survivors ever able to enjoy sex? And there is no one answer to that question. Um, <clears throat> well, that was a nasty cough. Um, but I do know this. I know there are survivors who who are able to um, have enjoyable sex lives. Um, you know, the kind of the classic thing that tends to happen is Uh, after somebody has experienced sexual trauma is they become either hypersexual or completely shut down and sometimes going back and forth between the two for, for periods of time. And I wanted to read your survey because I wanted to implore you to let your husband know what is going on with you because you deserve to be, to have your feelings Taken into account, you deserve to feel safe, um, and if that means not having sex, um, that 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 means not having sex. Um, you know, you don't have to worry uh, about how long that is right now. And if your husband really loves you, um, he will want to help you deal with this trauma that you experienced, and maybe a good way to. To do would would be to um, um, bring him in for some some sessions with your therapist, um, but it is it doesn't necessarily mean that you will uh, never ever enjoy sex. There are people who who are able to enjoy sex again. The mo- majority of whom though need to process that trauma with mental health professionals or support groups. Um, this has been my, in, in terms of people I know and what I have read, that is, that is what I know to be true. Um, so don't give up hope, um, but there is no hard and fast answer for it. But please do get, get some, some help for yourself and some compassion and some kindness for that that terrible wound that that you've um that you've suffered and just the thought of you re-traumatizing yourself over and over again because you're afraid to speak up for yourself is just heartbreaking it is just heartbreaking um i, I really hope you hear or listen to this episode and hear me read that This was filled out by. um, This is a shame and secret survey, and this is just a partial that I'm going to read. Filled out by I Would, but I'm afraid. And uh, straight in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, She writes um, to the question Have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? She writes, Not sure. And then. Of course I want to read this. At 28 years old, I'm starting to realize how much of a narcissist my mother is. She always suffered from anxiety and OCD, which I've always attributed to my own, but I never connected the dots before now that my anxiety may stem from my mom making all my struggles about her. She was also very belittling as a child. She would constantly comment on my weight. I struggled with acne a lot as a kid, and she would call me Zitty as a nickname. Just hold that for a second. That is how much our brains try to convince us that our parent isn't abusive. She said she's not sure that her parent was emotionally abusive. And her mom called her zitty. I vividly remember my dad calling her out one day as she told me I looked uh, thin in the outfit I was wearing, uh, where he said, what does that mean? She looks fat, usually. Uh, it was then I realized the jabs she was constantly taking at me. I confronted her in tears after that, begging her to stop, quote, making fun of me, uh, and things changed, but the damage was already done. Um, I... And then this to me is, I think, another example that your mom is somebody who is sick. (coughs) Um, Any positive experiences uh, with your abuser? Uh, I'm very close with both my parents. My mom has been my confidant my whole life growing up, but now I see my little sister confiding in her and I see the awful advice she gives and it's like the veil has suddenly been pulled from my eyes. For example, my sister told my mom her boyfriend was being abusive and controlling, checking her texts and trying to control what clothes she wears. And my mom's answer to her was, Well, yeah, but how can you leave him? You can't leave him. My sister is a firecracker and a beautiful and strong soul, constantly being told by people to be less than herself. My mom perpetuates this. Your mom is a sick person, and... I really hope that you can find a way to detach from her sickness. Because that is fucked up. Calling your kid zitty. The very moment that your kid really needs you in their corner. When their insecurity is just flaring up. And they're at that time in school when kids are at their fucking meanest. And that's what your mom says to you. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by BB, And um, she writes, I recently got prescribed new medication for my PTSD because Celexa gave me night terrors and dry mouth. Anyways, I was on day one of the new drug and was wondering if it was working at all. When I got home from work, my elderly neighbor stopped me as I walked out of my car and asked me how my day was. I did the same and asked him about his, and he proceeded to tell me all about his celiac disease and his young wife vomiting and having the shits the last few days. Uh, normally, uh, oh, when I finally walked in the house, I realized... I had talked to him for like 20 minutes. I actually had a 20 minute conversation. Um, normally, uh, let's see. Oh, normally I would say to myself, Great, fucking Mike is outside and he's gonna ask me how my day is. Um, but, and then I would dart out of my car as fast as I could to get into the house. Uh, Not that day, though. I was fully aware and comfortable talking about him and his wife's shit problems and actually enjoyed the convo. I think the new meds might be working. Smile. Sorry, I kind of stumbled through that one. I didn't need to apologize for that. You know what? Suck on me. Stumbling through that one. What do you think of that? You don't like me stumbling? Listen to another podcast. Oh, easy, Paul. Easy. Easy. What you guys can't see right now is I'm dressed up in a roller derby outfit. So when I when I get that helmet on, uh, I get a little aggressive. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey, and I just wanted to read one, one single thing from it. It was filled out by um, Soggy Overcooked Egg, and she didn't know if this is considered sexual abuse. Uh, My father used to check on the, quote, status of my pubic hair and, quote, tickle me. Considering he's a doctor, still not sure if it counts and haven't told anyone, not even my mother. That is, and it doesn't matter that he's a doctor. That's probably his cover for it, and I'm really fucking sorry that that is the dad that you got dealt Um, there is no reason, no reason for a parent to check out. There, there is no status, pubic hair status, you know, it's, it's your fucking pubic hair. It's not your dad's. It's none of his fucking business. comfort me herbert that's the other thing that's been really hard uh, having moved out because the the dogs are still at the house and um i go take them out during the day when um, when she's at work and um you know they're getting older they're 12 and 13 and it it just um It's like a physical representation of, you know, something coming to an end, and and it just... I hope I'm not making this episode just a fucking bummer. (sighs) Where's the funny? Bring in the funny. This is from the What Has Helped You um, survey. This is filled out by Ryan. His issues are depression and anxiety and what helps him. He writes, when I'm having a panic attack, I visualize all the ways I can die. Stabbing, car wreck, jumping from a tall building, eaten by a shark, one after another as fast as I can think. This sounds like the last thing you should do, but it works for me. That... Hey man, whatever works for you. I'm always looking to learn more, more things that you guys experience, more things that work for you, more things that don't work for you. This is an awfulsome moment shared by Flyaway Raven, uh, who is a gender, and they write, "My mother has narcissistic personality disorder. She would fight with me and burden me with all her problems in private, then claim my accomplishments." and humiliate me in public. Star Wars was one of the few things we ever agreed on. When Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds died, I felt like I lost a piece of that relationship. Then I began seeing all these pictures of the two of them as this happy mother and daughter pair. A photo of a young Carrie laughing, looking like she had tears in her eyes, while Debbie looked good-natured and motherly, uh, is what did me in. I sat staring at the photo, imagining having a mother who loved me so openly in public and I began to sob. I wanted so badly to have my mother's unconditional love and acceptance but now I'm considering fully cutting her from my life because I know deep down I'll never receive it and I really need to mother the child in my heart. I thought about that while I sobbed and imagined giving myself, giving a much younger me A hug a pure hug with no strings attached I sobbed harder and wrapped my arms around me like a vice trying to make it real and somehow realizing I was actually hugging myself it actually became real I gave myself the love I always wanted from her for the first time I started to smile and I couldn't stop laughing I felt just a little bit more whole and loved than I had before thank you for sharing that that was really beautiful really, really beautiful I know what it was that I that I wanted to share you with when I that made me think of it when I talked about Herbert's butthole was Ivy um always does this thing when you get up to go into another room, she's got a really sharp, piercing bark and she'll just for like a two-second burst, bark really loud. And even after 13 years, it's still super jarring. And I used to always get so angry, you know, when she would do it, or just least, like, oh, my God, stop it. And the first month of living here, living on my own, when I would get up to go get something, It was just silent. And I never thought that I would miss I'm trying to compose myself. And now I'm worried that this is self-indulgent. But that's probably just mean DJ voice talking. I think I'm going to have to pause. I am going to resist apologizing for uh, having to pause that. Um, yeah, the... The silence, um... It's amazing how powerful silence can be. You know? It's amazing. Alright, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by, um... Furiously sleeping. You guys are the best. Just the fucking best. Furiously sleeping. Um... Again, this is like the other one that I read where she's not sure if she was emotionally abused. Um, and let's see, how old is she? Uh, she's in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Never been sexually abused. Not sure if she's been uh emotionally abused. As a teenager, I struggled with depression. Oh, and the, the, the thing that I want you guys to, to keep in mind as... As I'm reading this and reading the things that her mom says to her, um, I could be wrong here, but this just seems like classic projecting. Her mom projecting her own personal hatred of herself um, onto her daughter. As a teenager I started struggling with depression. At first I tried to keep it to myself but I found myself spiraling into a really dark place. I told my mother I was depressed and needed help. She laughed at me and told me I was a privileged brat and that I never suffered a day in my life. She told me that she was sickened that I would even consider bringing it up and that I should be ashamed. I was told that I would feel better if I just exercised more. She told me I was getting a little squishy anyway. My mom had a temper, and we would occasionally get into massive arguments over small disagreements. I can't even remember how most of the arguments started. My mother would throw dishes and other items. Holes would be added to walls, and doors were kicked down. My dad would frequently try to de-escalate the situation and have a reasonable conversation, but my mom would always sit in the background and call me a liar and accuse me of of being manipulative. I struggled to make friends with my peers. My mother tried helping me by telling me I would make friends if I talked about things that people actually liked talking about and that if I put more effort into making myself look more presentable, people might want to hang out with me. If you... I hope hope that you are able to hear me read your survey because I can guarantee you 90% of the people who just heard me read all of that, their jaws are open. Their jaws would be open even if you hadn't said, I'm not sure if this counts. That is what a number your mom has done on you questioning your feelings your needs, the validity of anything about you, any positive experiences. And by the way, if a person from Child Protective Services had heard one-fifth of the things that your mom did or said, I don't see how you wouldn't have been removed from the home. I really don't. That is some of the meanest. I mean, that is sadistic. That is just sadistic. Oh, here's another thing, Um, you know, that to me is just sounds so much like your mother projecting. Darkest Secrets. After an argument with my mother, I attempted to run out of the house. I can't remember what the specifics of the argument were. She grabbed me by the hair, threw me to the ground, and kicked me in the head. There was only one other argument where things got physical. Afterwards, I was told that I was a terrible sister for making my little brother see all of it. Yeah, she's not a terrible mom for doing that to her child in front of another one of her children. No, you are. Afterwards, I attempted suicide, but my mom stopped me before I could hurt myself. I was told that if I couldn't pull myself together, that I would tear the family apart. I mean, that is so clearly your mother projecting that if she can't pull herself together, she is going to tear her family apart. I'm sending you a big hug and I really hope you you get to hear that read or if you don't get to hear it read I really hope that you find a person or people to open up to that can validate that it was your mom's sickness being used against you. This is an awfulsome moment uh, filled out by I'm a Casualty. And she writes, My husband and I have just moved in with my in-laws due to my severe depression and anxiety and inability to work right now. It's the week after Christmas and we decided to go to Panera for dinner. My mother-in-law asked me if there are things that could help me feel better or safer emotionally. And I told her, that when she asks how I'm doing every day, I will automatically say fine or good as I don't always feel like getting into the dark shit at 10 a.m. So she suggested a scale of 1 to 10 to help me communicate better. We agreed that a 10 seems unreachable right now and a 5 would mean managing. She asked me what a 1 would be. Maybe a day uh, of sleep and not leaving the house, question mark? Having a panic attack, question mark? For the first time I chose to trust them with the truth and said a one day would be feeling like I don't want to be alive but I don't want to die. They looked at me like I caught them off guard but longed to understand. At that point we realized Panera was closing in eight minutes and we were the only table left discussing my suicidal ideation in a booth over soup and salad. It feels so good to feel safe with the family I've always longed for that's That's so beautiful you know and i'm and it, I'm glad that I read this right after the previous one, so you can contrast what a healthy reaction a healthy and caring loving reaction and discussion is about. Emotions and one that isn't. I think Panera ought to start uh, marketing themselves as the place where you go and break down. Mm-hmm. Get it off your chest and in your stomach. How about that? That's her slogan. Uh, or a don't die, there's soup. I'll keep going. Try our lost the will to live sandwich. I'd like the turkey trauma. Uh, Can I get that on the holy shit that's so dark rye? I think I've said enough. I think I played that bit out. How great would that be, though, to have a restaurant where, like, you get thrown out for talking about the weather. Fuck would I love that. (laughs) That would be so awesome. Uh, This is a shame and secret survey filled out by At the End of My Rope. and She's straight in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, never been physically or emotionally abused. Darkest thoughts. I sometimes think about what my life would be like if my husband died. Though I know it's not entirely his fault, I tend to blame him for our financial struggles. I love him, and I'd be devastated if he died, but honestly, it would be nice to live alone and not have to explain my actions or keep up with his spending habits to see if we'll be able to pay our bills next month. I feel like his mother a lot of the time, and I hate it. Darkest Secrets We moved in with my parents a few years ago because we were in so much debt. We consolidated our debt, bought a house, and moved out of my parents' place. We have since sold the house and completely maxed out our credit cards again. My husband has opened three new accounts and has one debt in collections. I don't know what to do, and I can't tell my parents we're worse off than we were five years ago. I've been really stressed and down about the whole situation and find myself daydreaming about suicide. I really want to live, but I just have trouble seeing a way out. And um I don't know... What if anything do you wish for? I wish to be out of debt. If we could get out of this, it would be so much less I would be so much less stressed, and thinking of the future would make me happy and hopeful. Have you shared these things with others? Not really. My husband knows I'm stressed about money, but I don't know how much he gets it. How do you feel after writing these things down, desperate for a solution? Um anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Don't use credit cards unless you can pay them off. Don't get married before you're financially stable. Marry someone who has been independent with their ex- expenses.
1: <clears throat>
0: you know, my thoughts reading this is um you 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 didn't go into much detail, but I wonder how much responsibility your husband is taking for his spending because it sounds like he's not being very respo- responsible the fact that he opened three new accounts and one is already uh and you have one debt in collections um i does he have a uh, you know is he maybe a um i don't know what the word would be shopaholic a uh, uh maybe he's a compulsive gambler or something or i know there are programs um uh 12 step programs for people um who under-earn or uh, get in debt, um, uh, gamble, all, all kinds of, of things. But the one thing I do know is if you don't have a line of communication with your husband and you don't express what it is that you need out of him and your marriage, um, it's not going to get better. It's not going to, get better. Um, cause that's not something you can just sweep under the rug. You know, this is serious. This is like, uh, this isn't like, you know, he forgot to take the garbage out. This is, and my other thought was, um, if your parents are the kind of people that you can, um, that you feel safe opening up to, I would share this. With them, you know, if they're the type of people that are going to shame you, um, I, I don't know what to tell you, but um, just try not to keep this all to yourself because that is this is too much for any one person to keep inside, and you know, it might be that that. You got to start setting boundaries with your with your husband or come up with a uh a thing of what we can and can't do and what the consequences are if, if you know one of you uh violates this financial structure that you that you set up um but i feel for you man i know a lot of you a lot of you are under huge financial pressure out there and um sending you some some good vibes. This is an awful moment filled out, by. I'm so afraid that this is just the bluest, bleakest uh, that I'm just ruining everything for everybody and um, I'm pretty sure that's just the mean part of my voice though, the mean voice in my head. This is an awful moment filled out by I'm a casualty and She shares, I was coloring my hair in my old bathroom while at home for a couple of days when my mom, who doesn't validate my mental illness, walked in and said I should put some good worship music on. I told her I was about to listen to my podcast about mental illness that's really changed my life. I mentioned that I filled out surveys online about my anxiety and depression and that some of them have been read on the podcast and heard by thousands of people. After a couple of seconds of awkward silence, she asked me, So do you color your hair with a brush and start at the roots? I want to make that into a sweater and never take it off. That, I found that so comforting in such a fucked up way. I think because it's sad. But it's funny. I get mentioned in it. Uh, it's, It's so... It's like out of a movie. It is like out of a movie. Wow. Mally shares a happy moment. This is the first time I have consistently taken antidepressants, and I realized, shit, this is what a normal person feels like. It's amazing how blinded you can be, assuming everyone feels like shit every day, and that they want to cry every other second. Suicidal thoughts are tricky even when you're not depressed. The depression can cause you to think so negatively about the world with such deep and logical concepts. But despite that, I can actually say I don't want to leave this world anymore. I used to feel like life just just wasn't my thing, whatever life was—working hard, having friends, etc. But I've grown a love for my brother, and have grown a passion for music and guitar ever since my antidepressants started working. Now, as far as mentioning a specific time, um, crying uh, as my brother was leaving—you know, I was sad. But i never felt close to a sibling before and growing a relationship with him has reminded me of the richness of life i've never cried as a sibling left and i finally grew a significant relationship with such a caring person that's so beautiful thank you for that mallie and finally this is um this is from the what has helped you survey and um, she calls herself the cock block depressive. I'm a fan. Her issues are ADHD, OCD, anxiety, depression, and bulimia. Um, that's also known as the pentathlon. What has helped her? Meds, uh, crocheting. Uh, and then she puts, and my friends will never ever be cold again. Uh, getting an emotional uh, support animal. She is literally the only reason I get out of bed because I know I need to feed her and take care of her. She gives me purpose. What have people said or done that has helped you? My friends will always check on me when I've been ignoring their phone calls because that usually means I'm in bed with blackout curtains drawn and crying. They give me a few days to let me do me, then they come over and give me a makeover. By that, I mean they force me into the shower Jam a toothbrush in my mouth and make me leave the house. I hate them during the process, but I always feel better when they do this. I just, I just found that so touching and so like, like the importance of life just condensed into one vignette. It's just picking each other up when we're down. And yet we have this. This stupid thing in us that tells us to just go lick our wounds by m- ourselves. You know, the last couple of days have been really, really hard because the finality of what my wife and I are going through is finally really hitting me, and I was just crying so much today, and I didn't, I didn't want to call anybody, and. And the recovered part of my brain was saying, you need to call somebody. You will feel better. You need to do this. It will also be g- giving a friend of yours a chance to be your friend more deeply. And, and I did the, the first person I texted. Um, I said, can you call me? And, and she did. And, and I just, You know we talked for about a half hour and and i felt so much better afterwards you know it's not that the sadness isn't still isn't still there but i don't feel alone with it and and i feel heard and and felt and seen and uh Anyway, I um, I hope you like the new opening montage. Um, and I hope you heard something tonight that helped you. Um, I hope if you're feeling stuck, you get up the courage to pick up the phone or knock on someone's door or journal or fill out a survey or do something. Even just the tiniest baby step sometimes is enough Momentum to get us going and uh, and ask for some help and um, it can not only change your life it can save your life and make life pleasurable um, and just remember you're not alone and thanks for listening.
1: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is weird way. bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.